HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. And welcome to the Poutine on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's sponsor, Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. More info, go to hearstranch.com. Um, I just wanted to mention, Jack, this is uh, the 50th episode of the food scene. Congratulations. Oh, I thought you were going to push your button to make some kind of like cheer effect. But uh, <laughs> I don't think we're that advanced yet. <laughs> oh, there we go. We actually had one. Fantastic. Um, actually, only this will be the 48th aired. We have two in our back pocket coming up uh bumpus and par jelly mongers as well as lota jan's daughter wonderful brooklyn designer Mm -hmm. to be aired next month but today on the food scene lucky enough to have uh, Mm -hmm. a great collection of artists uh brought to us well i was pointed in their direction initially by amy gobert of the umami festival a prior guest on the show um Tat Food Tan, Michael Pribich, and Jorge Rojas. Jorge, are you on the line? Nope, I don't think he's on the line yet, but we'll get him soon. So these artists work in a whole bunch of different mediums, but we're all together recently at Project Row Houses, which is kind of an artist collaborative uh, down in Houston, Texas, but I think it'd be easier for either Tat Food or Michael to explain more. Um, Project Row Houses, can you tell us a little bit about you know, the layout of the land. Are you going to go? <laughs> sure. Um, Project Row Houses was started in 1993. The way I understand it is artists took over some neglected 
houses in a neighborhood in Ward 3 in Houston. It's a neighborhood that's mostly African-American. It's on the edge of downtown Houston. Um, the way I understood it, um, the city was going to level a number of these, they're called shotgun houses or row houses. So a number of artists took them over with the idea of, of having a place to work and live, I, I think. I'm not yeah. so sure about and them. You were explaining there's, they're like one-story houses and there were about a collection of about 50 yeah, they they now have I think forty eight is yeah. what I heard. They're they're um, I, I think they're about seven hundred square feet, um, galvanized tin roofs, um, typical worker housing, front door, back door, like an open layout. Um, seven or eight of these houses are now exhibition spaces, and they have a rigorous uh, artist exhibition program that is part of Project Row Houses. And included in the exhibition program is, a, is, a, is housing that they provide, low-income housing, um, housing for young mothers. Um, I don't know how that all works, but yeah. it works really well. So it's not just for visiting artists. It's for the community to live in as Very well. vital. Yeah. That, that's the thing about it. It's a very, very active and vital community. And when artists are invited in, it's a residency. We were there for about 10 days. We were given a place to live. Um, and part of the premise of our being there and making art was also interacting with the community. And it was done in a kind of formal, organized way and also much informality. But they do have a set structure for artists to, to work in the community there, which is what I was saying when, I, when, I, when we met a few minutes ago. It's, it's just a fantastic place to work because of the exchange with yeah. people. And, and they model it on some level on the um, social sculpture program of Joseph Boyce where, where art is... Huh. Um, everyday activities can be elevated to art. So, so Project Row Houses has this high-minded or community-minded as you want to be, which yeah. is what's really incredible about it. Excellent. Um, actually, we have Jorge on the line, too, right now, oh, right? Hi, Jorge. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, All right, good. Jorge. Where, good. where are you right now? I'm actually in Salt Lake City, Utah. Excellent, excellent. Are you getting uh, some good weather at the moment as well? No, it was just uh, hailing really hard here. Um, I'm sorry to rub it in, but we're having like our first spring-summer day of the season, and we're loving it. Oh, I'm happy for you. You guys deserve it. I was I was living in Brooklyn for the last six years up until recently, so I'm happy that um, you guys are getting some nice weather. Excellent. Um, I kind of wanted to talk to all three of you about how you were approached by Project Row Houses or how you found yourself there. Um, and since we got Jorge on the line right now, I was wondering how you were brought into that community. Absolutely. Um, I met um, Ashley Clemmer Hoffman and Linda Shearer about two years ago through the National Performance Network. They have a program called the Visual Artist uh, Network um, that we all belong to. And... Um, Project uh, Row Houses is one of the one of the partners in that project, and so that's how that's how we met, and we've just become friends and stayed in touch for a long time. And um, I went out to Project Row Houses about a year ago just to check it out and uh, become familiarized with the neighborhood and, and learn more about the project. And I just fell in love with it. And um, I guess it was just uh, last winter um, when I, I uh, met. Um, Ashley again and Linda at the conference for the National Performance Network and they told me that they were thinking about doing a show around this, the topic of food and I said well you know I just uh, I'm working on a project uh, right now um, 
called the Tortilla Oracle, where um, I read uh, I read people's tortillas, and she was like, "What? You got to talk more about that." And so that's how the conversation started, um, specifically for this project. And um, and we stayed in touch uh, when they started putting the show together. I sent them a proposal along with a couple of other uh, components to the show. Um, that accompany the, the performance element, and, uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get invited to go and uh, be part of this show. Fantastic! And to meet uh, and to meet Michael and Tetsu and another amazing group of artists. Yeah, it seemed like quite a spectrum of foreign arts as well. I mean, you mentioned that you're reading people's fortunes on tortillas. We'll get back to that because I think it needs a little bit of explanation. Um, but Michael was working on a, a project more directly related to the sugar trade. Could you mm-hmm. tell us a little about that? Sure. Um, my contribution to the show, the show's called A Matter of Food, and my, my contribution was called Sugarland. And um, two years ago, my wife was in an artist residency in the Dominican Republic, and I went to visit her a couple of times. And unbeknownst to me, uh, the D- Dominican Republic has large sugarcane fields, and they were harvesting right in the area where we were staying. Um, and I became fascinated be- by it because of the, the scale of the sugarcane and the methods used to harvest it. And they were <clears throat> the work was done completely by Haitian laborers that had come over from Haiti. And the Dominican Republic and Haiti share the island of Hispaniola. Yeah. So I grew up in California, the Central Valley, an agricultural place. Yeah. And I'm used to seeing farm workers and agriculture, but I'd never seen anything quite like this because it was completely um, just hardcore, tough conditions. Yeah. Uh, the, so, I mean, it wasn't like $60 a day day laborers getting no, picked up. No, they're, they're hand harvesting with machetes, yeah. these fields that you could see for miles that go to the horizon. You know, I, I didn't understand why it was so primitive and why the, the Haitians were so isolated. There's a great deal of racism in the Dominican Republic for, uh, towards Haitians, which is a long history, and, and that's what I spent the last couple of years learning about. Uh, the Haitians lived separately in communities called Bates, and all of that was a very long uh, period where I was just learning out why I saw what I saw, and I've been making art about that subject the last couple of years, about Haiti and the Dominican Republic, and um, the show in Houston is kind of the result of a lot of that research where I'm, where I'm showing sugarcane in a, in a, in an isolated setting and, and referencing um, the Houston area as it turns out is a former sugar producing area there's a a, a large company a corporation called Imperial Sugar yeah a likely name. Um, <laughs> so I used that. I referenced it quite a lot in my exhibition. The Imperial Sugar Company is a conglomerate, and they, they get sugar from all over the world, including the Dominican Republic. And, and my, my point with the show is that we have cheap available sugar in America, but it's at a price of people that we don't necessarily see. Yeah. So that, that was kind of what my, my contribution was about, was that, that subject, and how we are very fortunate to have what we have, but people pay the price for it. Yeah. Um, I mean... All of you and Project Row Houses itself kind of work around these societal mm-hmm. systems, but mm-hmm. uh, what you guys are pointing out is that food systems and society are, you know, in hand. Um, and a lot of Tatfu's work deals with that specifically. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your SOS project? Yeah, yeah. Um SOS project is my own uh, project that I started here in New York for a few years already and Project Row House approached me to show it at their space uh, to be a catalyst so that uh, their own uh, greenhouse initiative could, could be activated a little bit more better. 
And um, since I'm there, I managed to meet uh, my fellow artist and exhibitor, Chef Tasha, who is just having a, a great, amazing um, uh, community garden just a block away. But but they these two kind of uh, entity never really get a chance to meet and to interact a little <laughs> bit better. But since I'm there, I managed to kind of yeah. get them to meet and maybe hopefully in the long run, they would be able to work together. Is that the eco-team? Eco-tone. Eco-tone, Community yeah. Garden, yeah. And um, yeah, that's that's the purpose of me being there, using art to activate uh, the, the community itself. And a lot of people think that... Uh, you know com- gardening and things is only for people that has money but actually uh the the poor people the people that are has low income need it the most i mean yeah mm-hmm. most people that worked in agrarian agrarian societies uh were you know the poorest mm-hmm. were the ones that worked for mm-hmm. the wealthiest mm-hmm. but were in the fields actually dealing with the food so mm-hmm. just the, the provider class yeah, the yeah. working class yeah. sure so is there that big disconnect down there i mean who was accessing the community garden before you were there um well the it, i think it, it it's not just there it's everywhere people still think that the the trend of a community garden or, or the green movement is something that you know uh people that well do you know it's not it's not for people that are you know poor because they couldn't afford it but it's it's more like taking back the land uh doing something for yourself not not waiting for someone else to rescue you yeah not not waiting for government to change the rules but you know to go ahead and use your hand and and be clever what you put into your body yeah and trust the land rather than trust the label yeah those kind of ideas should manifest itself a little bit more yeah so uh, yeah I, hopefully the shows and what uh, Chef Tasha and the Greenhouse Collective doing locally there you know will make an impact in the community because Project Blue House itself has its own built in community people actually live there so yeah it's, it's really great that uh, these people are doing things there. So outside of the community that lives there, what kind of demographic did you see come into Project Row Houses? This is a question for all of you, Jorge, as well. Jorge? Um, do you guys want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly embedded, heavily embedded in the, in the African-American neighborhood that's right there. That's the dominant community that uses Project Row Houses. But the, the cool part... I thought was just how, in addition to that, um, Rice University Architecture School kept coming. They, they were bringing their classes in, um, which is mostly a white student body, mm-hmm. it looked like, now that I think about it. Um, and the University of Houston as well. They're also right down the street from Project Row Houses. So the organizers of Project Row Houses are working hard to bring other communities in and mix it up and it's a very favorable place to do that because it's set up there's so much space and there's so many opportunities to mix up with artists with with um, the, the Project Row House staff and the people that uh, participate it's a very welcoming interesting yeah. community and um, well, I mean the title of this collaborative piece was Matter of Taste when you first Matter of Food Matter of Food sorry um and when you first went into Project Row Houses, did you see a certain kind of eating structure with the residents of those houses? Did you see, you know, some kind of food system that they were using? Like, were they eating healthy food? Were they eating local food? Or was this the first time they were privy to the idea of... Mm. We need Ashley here for this yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's no... I think, I think one of the challenges that, um, that the community there in, in the Third Ward is faced with is that there's not a, a lot of uh, local organic uh, 
stores or healthy restaurants or, um, you know, those kinds of options. And so I think that they're really trying to create ways for those kind of things to be developed locally so that they're not having to go far away um, to get to get healthy food. And so, um, but I, I think um, I think there's a there's a spirit of um, of healthy living overall at Project Row Houses and in that community is the sense that I got. Um, but I think that there's a lot of room for, um, and I know that they're trying to do so to, to bring to, to to do stuff locally and in the neighborhood to, to create a better, um, healthy healthier eating environment. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, like we were talking before, the, the, the community is economically segregated from the rest of Houston, so it has a, a long way to go up to, to change that, to improve that. And I think what Tatfu was talking about contributes tremendously. Ecotone Garden is a, is a step of how to do that. Um, there's, a, there's a long way to go, but uh, I think One. this is a good, good way to get there. One simple example is that the last night we've been trying to yeah. cook stuff in our space that we've been living together and in the fridge is just very limited stuff that we bought uh, in a supermarket and we were too lazy to go out so we just scratch around the whole um, the whole neighborhood in, in Project Row Houses since Greenhouse Collective has planted stuff there so we managed to, to eat healthy, fresh and have fresh eggs and fresh vegetables off the ground and <laughs> cook a delicious meal that we really enjoy because we didn't have a recipe we just cook whatever that's available yeah and it's a fellowship among us and the, the good ingredients and and the creativeness how to cook that dish out that makes the whole experience so mo- so much memorable mm-hmm. excellent mm-hmm. we're going to take a quick, well go ahead right. jorge oh, i was just going to add to that and just say that um i know that um one of the initiatives that they're exploring is to creating a, a local market um Mm-hmm. It will be, um, you know, based in the neighborhood and, and uh, using organic products. And so I know that that's an initiative that they're really working on on, mm-hmm. uh, on, on doing the Project Grow House, which I think is great. Yeah, because, I mean, after, th- this show just recently closed, correct? No, it's, it's up oh, until it's June up. 19th. Oh, excellent. <clears throat> June 19th. <laughs> Head down to Houston, check out Project Grow House's Matter of Food. Um, we're going to take a quick break and talk about, because what's fantastic, what's kind of amazing is, the, the the array of backgrounds that you all come from, and then you found this common place mm-hmm. to be able to project this similar ideal. Um, next on the food scene, we'll be right back. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. 
Tune in to The Naturalist every Monday at 12 p.m. Bernie Wides, a.k.a. The Naturalist, is a walking encyclopedia of history, biology, geography, and a whole host of other words ending in Y. The Naturalist is his platform to make you just a little bit smarter every week, covering an enormous breadth of topics from animal life to prehistoric New York. Let Bernie's dulcet voice and razor-sharp intellect guide you through 30 minutes of pure, unadulterated knowledge. Co-hosted by Carol Butler. Again, that's every Monday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Tatfu Tan, Michael Pribich, Jorge Rojas, all contributing artists to the Project Row Houses Matter of Food exhibition. They're artists in their own right, too, and uh, come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. And I kind of wanted to explore that, uh, starting with Tatfu. Um, because a lot of your art, as stated in a couple of your artist statements themselves, deals with how art practices to you know, explore a way how individuals in society are kind of like collapse uh, these different ideas, art, life, food, that, you know, everything's kind of intertwined. Um, when did you kind of realize that in your artistic career that, you know, you didn't have to have this singular focus about a project, that it can incorporate a lot more? Um, I used to be a painter and then uh, I was showing in galleries and stuff, um, but I felt a, a, some sort of um, of failure in my part being an artist because I just do one type of media that stucks onto a wall and, yeah. and I couldn't get out of that and it has to be protected and, and being cared for so I decided to change my practice a little bit so become social sculpture where I interact with people and change people's perception I want to make my art more useful in some way make sense and put it in an experience when people interact with my art uh, they bring back an experience um, from that whole uh, interaction <coughs> and they will feel empowered that they could do the same thing a lot of my artwork is being designed so that um, normal people the public can access it either on my website or from instructional pieces that I gave out so that people are more empowered and they felt that uh, their life is being enriched by art yeah you know, I love the term that I've seen written about you uh, shared experience um, because mm. you know sharing is a thing that you give on to another like mm. a mentorship right. and um, it's not just you're in the same place as the person at the same time you're actually giving something of yourself and of your art to Mm-hmm. another person I, I just find that you know uh, kind of spectacular in this mm-hmm. day and age sometimes mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is a gift yeah. you know? um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and without sharing you can't really it's just uh, it's just one sided you know just like love like, 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 like life itself it needs to be shared just like food it tastes better when it's shared among people yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and food itself is so uh, powerful because uh, food uh, like the, the language or the, the syllabus of the universe um, when you meet some nice girl, you, you, the first thing you invite her for dinner. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a celebration. You want to host a, yeah. a dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it is the best thing uh, medium to, pl- to play around with. It is a fantastic mm-hmm. medium. Um, talking about like sharing experiences, I wanted to talk a little about about your cuisine de jour project mm. um, because I think that's in direct reference to what you did down in Project Row Houses. Uh, in cuisine de jour, uh, and tell me if I'm incorrect, mm-hmm. you had immigrant families mm-hmm. or uh, kind of shared their immigrant 
food experiences. Um, this was at the Tenement Museum? And the Tenement Museum. And yeah. uh, they bring in a piece of memento that they photograph and put into a jug and being pickled in a jug. So basically try to preserve a memory that they have from where they come from. But uh, as we all know, uh, the more we... We, we go to a new place, the, the more we forgot about the old place that we, we were. So we were trying to preserve something that might not be able to, to preserve itself. And it works perfectly because on the Lower East Side, it is the mecca of uh, pickling. Yeah. So <laughs> from there, the inspiration just came. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So did you have cravings every once in a while for half sour during the project? <laughs> go around the corner to the pickle guys? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, what's so cool about that is you know, it wasn't any one specific immigrant, you know, sect. Uh, you were getting people from all over the world, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. All, all over the place, Latin America, Europe, um, everywhere. And it, it's, it's about, you know, especially in New York, we are so used to, to food, international food, that we, we don't even realize that, you know, we go out and we eat so much different things. And it, it, it actually bit in our psyche that we we learn a lot from various cultures itself also yeah yeah and uh, and also relate to um, to immigrants I want to bring back another project called yeah. share a prayer yeah um, uh, it's because of that uh, I've been invited to a Queen's Museum and they have this piece of um, antique document coming back to the museum it's called a flushing remonstrant 300 years old document that uh, kind of um, is the DNA for our religious freedom that we enjoy here in America mm -hmm. and um, they ask contemporary artists to reinterpret what religious freedom is in uh, flushing right now and um, I went to various religious sites to acquire various uh, prayer requests, but it's in the form of an adhesive sticker that I bring back to the museum and place it into a vending machine. So when the kids or anyone that who buy a soda or a snack from the vending machine, they are given the snack itself that has a piece of sticker onto it. Um, the sticker, might you might not be able to read it because it might be in foreign languages, yeah. uh, in other scripts that you might not understand, but you know that you are living among uh, different people, even though you don't understand who they are or their behavior you, sh you should respect you know uh, their religious freedom and who they are itself so um, from that project is very interesting to me also yeah yeah mm. no uh, and again the shared experience that there is that true respect for another culture that you don't necessarily understand which kind of leads me to Jorge's uh, Gente de Maze uh, mm -hmm. would you consider that uh, people of the corn is that a good interpretation Jorge uh oh, did we lose Jorge? Jorge? We might have lost. Yeah, we might have lost him. We'll come back to that. In the yeah, Jorge. I'm here. Oh, excellent! There you are. Um, we were just chatting a little bit with Tatfu about shared experience and about you know dealing with a whole bunch of cultures um, that you might not understand, but you should respect. And it kind of led me to uh, your project, the Gente de Maze, uh, the people of the corn, and. It was, you know, based on the idea of what that people worship corn and maize uh, for all these good things, um, you know. And you made these uh, pieces. You made what? Uh, corn people. You made miniature corn people. You invited guests to illustrate hopes and wishes on dried corn husks, and then read their fortune therewith. And then you also created uh, an altar. Um, where tortillas are prepared and read in a divining ceremony. Is that correct? That's all correct, yes. Excellent. I, I did a little better research. Um, <laughs> but what's fantastic is that, you know, corn, I think, is really taken for granted in the U.S., uh, mm -hmm. across the world. But 
it was never taken for granted in the project that you did. Uh, I mean, it was it was a thing of worship. Uh, where did you? How did you arrive at this idea? Well, Dad, um, I'm originally from Mexico, so um, corn for um, the native cultures of the Americas, including um, the Aztecs and the Maya and uh, the Native American Indians, is uh, is a very um, spiritual, um, important uh, thing. Um, cultures all throughout the Americas have worshipped corn, uh, maize, as we call it, as this uh, deity of uh, plenty, of, uh, represents fertility, and it's uh, often linked with like renewal of life and protection. So uh, it's something that we have a, 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 a deep history um, with. And so um, I, I just wanted to explore some of these myths and some of these legends um, surrounding um, corn and maize, and, and also... Uh, I'm interested in uh, in mystical practices. Yeah. Um, a, lot my, a lot of my work deals with like communication systems and um, social structures, communities, and so there's a lot of uh, performance-based stuff, uh, ritual, and and also uh, bringing uh, par- bringing people together. So a lot of uh, participatory um, um, types of projects, and so um, so. That's kind of how I became I became interested, and in I was also reading a book around that time that was recommended to me called Men of Maize, which is um, or Hombres de Maíz, as it is in Spanish, by an author named Miguel Ángel Asturias. Um, he actually won was the winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature back in like '68, mm-hmm. and um, and the whole book talks about this sort of this myth or this idea that the Mayans had that their flesh was actually made of corn, uh, as if you know they had come from corn, and there's a lot of legends. Around around uh, in the Maya and in uh, Aztec um, folklore that, that talk about our connection to, um, to corn. And so I just wanted to take some of these myths and sort of reinterpret them in my own way and create these projects that would involve the community and that would bring us all together uh, in, in, in building this building this. So um, there was uh, the after-school program. There were lots of kids that were coming by almost every day throughout my stay there that were um, that were coming and helping me build this uh, village of little corn people. Yeah. So each one is, is handmade, made out of uh, corn tortilla flour, like masa. Yeah. Um, just mixed with water, so it's basically kind of like Play-Doh. And then every kid, and, uh, and also the, the single mothers group at, in, at Project Row Houses and other artists and just people come by and help me build this, uh, this uh, little kind of a, basically a village that was hundreds and hundreds of little corn people. I know. I was about to say, you said little, even though they were mini corn people, they surely weren't little corn people. I mean, it it was a massive structure of, like you said, hundreds and hundreds. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was the shape that they were all set in? The shape that they were set in? Yeah. It 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 kind Um, of looked like, you know, big concentric circles. Yes, that's right. Um, Well... It was a, a section of the project house where I was where I was that I was given to work in, and it just it had just this perfect, just kind of sized for what I was trying to accomplish. I built this uh, this corn mandala mm-hmm. with you know there's a different color of corn. There's the blue and 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 the red and the yellow and and which also has some uh, symbolism behind it. Um, but and so I built this, this this mandala in the center of it, and then all of the corn people were kind of coming towards it and from it, sort of as going back to this idea that they come from corn, but it's also something that they worship. So, 
um, it was it was yeah these concentric circles all around uh, this this um, colorful corn mandala. Excellent. And the second part of that project was the writing your hopes and wishes on the corn husks. Um, so the participatory yeah. uh, part was the actual writing. Yeah, and that really just came from the idea that um, basically corn husks um, were used. I, I, in, in my research, I found out that people would use corn husks as these things of good good luck and protection. And so, like for instance, over a baby's crib, uh, Indians would put um, corn husks over the, over the crib to protect the child from evil spirits, or over their front doorways. Hmm. So I thought, how nice to create this sort of like this prayer wall. You taking some of the influences from different cultures and, and letting people just kind of in the community and, and that are visiting the exhibition come and put write down their hopes, their wishes, their their dreams, um, things that they you know positive uh, thoughts. Uh, and and uh, with time, it's it's basically kind of turned into this big curtain of these beautiful dried yeah. corn husks. Uh, all with, uh, you know, putting together this prayer wall. I, I'm assuming, too, that you had peoples from many different cultures writing their hopes and dreams. Because um, I always find it fascinating when someone interacts with an exhibition like that and isn't necessarily from that culture, how open they are to venting or to, you mm-hmm. know, putting that faith into a project. Um, but it shows that trust mm-hmm. that we were talking about before, or that respect for different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've always found that fascinating. Um, but I don't want to gloss over the tortilla oracle, because every once in a while, while I'm eating tortillas, I think I see something, too. <laughs> and I want to know what this is all about. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy to talk about that. Um, that kind of was the genesis of this whole project for me, and uh, it has a little bit of a history. Actually, the first tortilla oracle performance that I did was in, in Bushwick, in Brooklyn, when I was living there yeah. um, just uh, about a year ago uh, at this place called the St. Nick's Alliance Community Arts Space there in Brooklyn. But um, basically, um, I've, I've been reading um, tarot cards for over uh, 20 years, and it's just something that I love to share with my friends and with my family. And uh, uh, I've just always been interested in the, <clears throat> in the mystical. Um, I've also, we um, food is, is is a very important thing for me as a Mexican, uh, and also uh, with my own with my immediate family, my wife and my and my child. We love having uh, dinner parties, and um, it all kind of started out just kind of as a tongue in cheek thing, where we, you know we're all hanging around the kitchen and we're making quesadillas or something, and we started noticing these marks in the tortilla, and we just started playing around with the idea like look, you know, I see, I see love in your future, or I, I think I see the Virgin of Guadalupe on there, or just kind of, you know, <laughs> playing with this thing of, like, uh, these visions that come to people where they see, like, Christ on a piece of toast or something like that. Yeah. But it was kind of started out tongue-in-cheek, and then when I first did the performance, I, I decided that I wanted to, to play with this concept and take it further and really kind of explore this idea of how people interact, and, and then people faith and believe in things so it's sort of sort of like a metaphor of how we see life or how we see art even you know if you go with an open mind into a space and you're there to learn and you're there to experience something new then you're probably going to get something out of the art that you experience there and you know such as life as well and so i think the same thing goes for these type of mystical practices if you go in with an open heart and an open mind um then you're probably going to get something out of the reading so um yeah, so I, I, I realized very uh, early on in, the, in this process that people were coming in, they weren't really thinking of it as a performance. I was, they weren't. They were coming in and, they, and, and really wanting to 
get something out of it to, to, to take some uh, some wisdom <laughs> or you know people were asking me about their love lives about their businesses about their inti- intimate things and so I thought well why not just put all my heart and soul yeah. into this and really just mm-hmm. you know try to offer something positive and beautiful and um, and and so you know people ask me well is it real well I think it's real and mm-hmm. I and I put all my best energy into it and I and I do feel like I am um, offering some kind of information that's positive and that's helpful and a lot of times people have come back to me and they say Jorge the the reading was amazing everything you told me was right on everything that you you know and people have even come back to me on Facebook saying can I read their tortillas can I read their tortillas <laughs> over the phone do you get tortillas so sent to you in the mail it's sometimes? kind of an interesting <laughs> process of how it started and what it's become and so I just I really see it as this um as a performance piece, but I also see it as an opportunity to to, feel, to have the audience become a, an active participant in, uh, in in the art in the artwork itself. Yeah, hmm. no, I mean, it, it it shows how much faith people have, though, in those kind of practices in mm-hmm. uh, um, allowing art to interpret mm-hmm. uh, good thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rarely do you see people walk into an environment where they know they're going to get bad news from whatever reading or whatever source. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're very willing and accepting of mm-hmm. good news. And what you guys are spreading through Project Row Houses and you know, your own projects are things of good faith or uh, you know, good ideas. And I hope you find willing participants and you know, open ears for a lot of this. Uh, are there any new projects that you're all working on right now that... you know? Uh, you'd like to tell us about? Uh, sure. I'd like to tell about uh, the SOS Guilds, where I actually um, are sponsoring um, artists. I became my own micro-grant program. Oh. Um, I save up um, $500 uh, yeah. in a year, and I like to pay it forward to someone, uh, another artist who, who uses art as a tool for sustainability, something that I do and passionate about. So I think that in this economy, which is like everything is with bad news, I wanted to do something more positive, and um, so that's uh, that's my next initiative. And I'm also going to host a dinner um, that is uh, organized by MAPP, and it's going to be around the theme of uh, interdependency. And it's being, I think, I was inspired by our our dinner with uh, Michael and Esperanza, Michael's wife, that we cook very, with limited uh, resources, and I wanted in the dinner I'll invite um, all the different guests to come to the dinner with only one ingredient mm-hmm. and they could only cook from those mm-hmm. limited uh, choices and, yeah. and by doing that they have to talk to each other discuss what could be made and brainstorm a little bit and cook a dish out and enjoy together yeah mm. so that will be the next a true, a true melting pot yeah. yeah excellent well I want I really appreciate all you taking your time um, not only for the show but to create such wondrous ideas and, you know, pay it forwards, as Tatfu said. Um, Jorge, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having us, and uh, a big uh, big shout-out to Project Row Houses for yeah. you know, big, big time. For, uh, hosting this event, because they, they're, they, they're the ones that are, I think, they're really doing amazing things over there. So anyone that's interested in social sculpture, community building, social justice, any any type of art around that, or should really look into Project Row Houses. Excellent. And that shows up till uh, mid-June? June, Juneteenth, they call it. June 19th. <laughs> Juneteenth, head down to <laughs> Houston, Texas, or if you're already there, stop by Project Row Houses. Michael Pribich, Tatfu Tan, 
Jorge Rojas. Thank you all again. Right. Been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlander. Cal. Hoping to be back here next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Thank you to Jack Inslee for making this studio run, Hearst Ranch for sponsoring, and this wonderful weather for finally arriving. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. In 2010, EscapeMaker.com won an Emmy Award for their agritourism webisode. So this year they thought, why not bring agritourism and green getaway ideas right to you? Come to the Green Getaways Local Food and Travel Expo on April 30th at One Hanson Place, home of the Brooklyn Flea and former Williamsburg Savings Bank. Presented by Amtrak, Zipcar, and I Love New York, the carbon-free event will be a day filled with food, prizes, workshops, and kids' activities. Over 50 getaway destinations, from counties to local farms and bed and breakfast within a day's drive or train ride of New York City, will be exhibiting on the main floor and in the huge bank vault downstairs. See what's hot in sustainable travel and receive special show-only discounts. Bro NYC will be doing workshops on the green market, and Appalachian Mountain Club will offer workshops on adventure bicycling and hiking via mass transit. EscapeMaker.com will be giving away over 50 getaway prizes, ranging from zipline adventure passes to an overnight stay at Mohonk Mountain House. Travel greener, eat local. Come to the expo on April 30th. Get your tickets now at www.escapemaker.com. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great tasting, high quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your fairway honey today.